It is my privilege to introduce our guest speaker preacher this morning. It's one of our very own missionaries, Eric Yotis. Uh, Eric and Beth Yotis, they moved to Ukraine in 1995. There they served the local church by assisting local church planning efforts, and they provided leadership training. It was in 2014 where Russia invaded eastern Ukraine, and the Yotis family was displaced and returned to the U.S. It was in the spring of 2015 where Eric and Beth moved back to Ukraine, but this time to Kiev where they resumed ministry. But once again, as we all know, last year in 2022, Russia attacked Ukraine, and Eric and Beth were once again displaced. They're currently partnering with Ukrainian churches for humanitarian outreach and trauma care, ministering from the states as well as Ukraine and other countries of Europe to where Ukrainian nationals have been displaced. So Christ's covenant, let's give our, our missionary Eric Yotis um, a warm East Tennessee welcome. Thank you, Thank you. It's great to be with you today. I uh, want to encourage you to drop by our table where many of your young people have already discovered that we brought candy back from Ukraine on my recent trip. And um, so, but we want you to pick up a, a prayer photo as well, put it on your refrigerator or wherever you're going to spend a lot of time, and uh, you can sign up for our uh, prayer, a newsletter, prayer letter by, uh, by going to this website at the bottom, it's yodas.live, and at the very bottom of that page, you'll see a link to where you can sign up for our regular, uh, not too regular, but occasional newsletters. You know, just a minute ago, I said it was good to be with you today. It was a pleasure to be with you today. And that's not something I could have said honestly a year ago. My heart just wasn't into it. Um, when our mission leadership told us in no uncertain terms to leave Ukraine, and I got to admit, I was so very, I had so much anger in my heart, and so many of my core values were being violated. Everywhere I went, people said things like, Wonderful things. I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I'm so glad you're not there. I'm so glad you're safe. And I'll be honest with, honest with you. My, my, my head, when I heard those, would tell my heart, Eric, they love you. Eric, they're saying these things because they care. Respond appropriately. But my heart was sarcastically telling my head, well, at least somebody is glad about all this. That's kind of how this thing had messed up, messed us up a bit. I, God did send some very great people to help us work through these issues that we were facing. But I still remember a few months later struggling with this anger and emotions. I, I walked into the headquarters of our mission in Englewood, Colorado, World Venture. And as you walk in, about 20 feet away, there's a wall that is just flat at you. And there they decided to put the vision statement of the mission in large, beautiful letters. It reads, we see multitudes of disciples compelled by the love of God. And listen to these next few words. And willing to risk all so that people are transformed by God, impacting their families, communities, and the world. And still working through the issues that I was working through, I said to myself, 
hmm, I guess there's about four words in there we can take out now. Now that we're going to pull our missionaries off when things get, get tough. But let's re-examine that phrase, willing to risk all. You know, we talk about being willing to risk all until, of course, we are faced with the prospects of actually having to risk all. Is the kingdom of God really a pearl of great price? Is it really the treasure hidden in the field? Is it the kingdom worth, is the kingdom really worth giving up everything we have in order to have it, in order to make sure other people have it? Was Paul joking when he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain? Anatoly Bidishny was a Ukrainian tech specialist. A beautiful young man, a 26-year-old newlywed, a follower of Jesus, a member of a local church, just a five-minute walk from our flat near Peen, Ukraine, where we live. And shortly after the all-out part of this war started, he took his young wife, Diana, to the relative safety of western Ukraine. But filled with the love of God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Anatoly went back to Irpine to help his church, Irpine Bible Church, evacuate the city of Irpine. Now, you've seen this bridge in the news, I think, probably many times. There's many famous pictures of it. The Romanov Bridge over the Irpine River was blasted by the Ukrainian army and civilian volunteers to hinder Russia's invading forces from going the next step to Kiev. This bridge is just a kilometer from our apartment and from the church. Anatoly and other men from the church began getting women, children, the elderly, the infirm to the bridge and across the bridge where they could be transported by volunteers to Kiev and other parts of Ukraine where believers would take them in, feed them, clothe them before sending them on their way to further locations in Ukraine or the West. I'd like to also introduce you to a man named Sergei. I've never met Sergei personally. Here he is holding his pictures of his wife and two children, ages 9 and 18, his wife Tatiana. He's holding them their pictures because he can't hold them anymore. He himself was on a trip into eastern Ukraine, caring for his infirm mother, when the war broke out, he could not get back to his wife. And so at a point where it looked decisive, she hastily filled a suitcase, crated the two dogs, and with her two children began running toward this bridge. Shells were exploding only about 100 meters, 100 yards away from them. And without giving much thought to his own safety, if any at all, Anatoly, the volunteer from the church, ran to them, took her suitcase, and began assisting them towards safety, down across the lake, over the bridge, up to the top of the bridge. But safety never came, because when they got to the other side... Well... Tatiana and her two children died moments later in this 
plume of smoke. This picture was caught by a New York Times correspondent. They took their picture, even as they lay on the ground, a picture in respect to them and you, I will not show you. A horrified world was exposed to yet another atrocity. As a widow and widower in Ukraine were freshly minted. Some might say Anatoly was motivated by the Ukrainian cultural value of sacrificially helping others. That's a great cultural value. But I believe there was more than that. I believe Anatoly was motivated by his love for Christ that had transformed him into a person that could not look with indifference at the needs of others. He believed that what he was doing was important. He knew that it was a matter of life and death, and that whether in life or in death, Christ would be glorified by his service. Today we are going to be asking ourselves two questions. And these questions are related both to the message and to the price we are willing to pay for this message and to get this message out to a lost and broken world. First, we consider what is this message? The Apostle Paul has this to say in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2. He's talking to the church in Corinthia. And he says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And Brother Gabe, what do we call that? Christocentric. Right? Christ. Centered preaching. This does not mean that he would only preach about the crucifixion, but Paul rather wanted to convince them of the claims of Christianity. So, what did he do? His theme was preaching about Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. In the following verses, he explains that he actually did preach a lot of wisdom, but he preached it to those who were mature in their faith. He wanted to establish a church in Corinth, so he preached who Jesus is. I'd like to do that this morning a little bit as well. And to do that, we turn to the fourth book of the New Testament in the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, the book of John, John's Gospel. Chapter 11, verse 23 to 26. I want to give you the background, what's happening here. You probably have heard the story of the raising of Lazarus. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were all really good friends with Jesus and his disciples. Mary had sat at Jesus' feet, learning from him. Martha had served him. Lazarus had been Jesus' pal, his buddy. So they had sent a message to Jesus. Lazarus, this man whom you love, is sick. But Jesus waits two days until Lazarus dies to go anywhere. And then it takes him four days to get there. So now here he is. He is stopped outside of a village, right outside of 
where the Bethany, where Mary and Martha were, and Martha comes running to Jesus, and we understand a little bit about who Martha is. She was a very strong woman. She was a woman who, uh, when she spoke, people listened. When she said jump, people said, how high? And so she comes to Jesus, and she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now... I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. She really doesn't get who Jesus is. It was so out of her cultural boundaries to be talking to a master in such a way. But Jesus, he ignores all that, and he answers the question that's really on her heart. He says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, the Jews often believed in the resurrection, but they believed in a general resurrection, not an individual one, a specific one. But Jesus said to her something she didn't already know. He said, I am the resurrection And the life. I am the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Those are bold claims Jesus is making. In my personal study of the Bible, I've found it amazingly enlightening to study those phrases of Jesus where he says those two words I am. I am. Just a few chapters away. John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But we are like Martha. We don't quite get it. So take, for example, around Christmas time, which is about, what, two months ago now? Two and a half? We often hear this phrase, Jesus came. Why did he? He came to show us the way. No! He came to be the way. Not show us the way. When I say show the way, it's like, You go this way, you go out those doors, and out the next doors, you get to the parking lot. Okay? No, he didn't come to show us the way. He came to be the way. He is the way. And if we want to have peace with God, we must take that way that is Jesus Christ, that is paved with the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. He is the way that is narrow. And as the Bible tells us, few there be that go that way way. Four chapters later, right, in John 18, 38, Jesus stands before the governor, Pontius Pilate, who ironically asked the question, what is, come on, you can say it, what is truth? Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And I say the question is ironic because Pilate is literally standing before the one who is the incarnation of truth. He's the embodiment of truth. He is truth itself. And he's asking the question, what is truth? In my mind, this has to be the most biggest and most tragic fail I can think of. To be standing before truth and not recognize him. Let's get back to Martha and Jesus where he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall not die 
shall never die. How can Jesus make such bold claims? Jesus can make these bold claims about people living forever because he says he is the resurrection. You know, I, I'd like to suggest to you what he did not say. He did not say, I have the power over death and of hell and over life and of, of the resurrection. He didn't say that. He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Resurrection, by its very definition, cannot stay in the ground. That would be impossible. It is resurrection after all. Jesus is resurrection. You can, you can plant resurrection six feet under, cover it with ground, but you cannot keep resurrection in the ground. You can put it in a cave, roll a big stone over it, guard it with, with soldiers, but it will not stay there because resurrection must rise again by its very definition. It's the same way with life. Jesus is life. And life, by its very definition, must live. You cannot kill it. And if somehow you're able to subdue life, even then it will live. It must live. It is, after all, life. Jesus is both the resurrection and the life. And this is the message we bring. This is the message we bring. Thus Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, took on human flesh and dwelt among us. He gave his life as a sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have peace with God, so that we could dwell with him forever. If we have the Spirit of Christ living in us, we cannot and will not stay in the grave. That would be impossible. Putin can take my house. Okay? He can take it. He can attack our beloved country. He can separate me from my dearest friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ. He can even kill some of them. He can destroy our infrastructure. He can burn our crops, hurt our women, abduct our children. He can even take my life. But there is one thing he cannot do. He cannot keep me in the grave. Because the resurrection and the life lives in me. This is the message we bring. Jesus Christ living in us. The resurrection and the life. So what is the price we pay? The cost we are willing to pay. We've already talked about the price Anatoly paid for living his life in obedience and service to the Lord. And many others in Ukraine have been willing to risk all for the gospel. And others, for the sake of the call, have yielded their lives as well. But today I want to go back a few verses in our story. I've been camping out on this amazing story that Jesus gave us in the raising of Lazarus. A story that took him six days to, to work because Jesus wanted to leave us before, before he would 
rise again, before his resurrection, he wanted to leave us with an ironclad example showing that he is the resurrection. Interestingly, in preparation for this sermon during, this, uh, during the past year, actually, I've been camping out on this passage, I looked online, I googled alternative explanations for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those abound. Look up alternative explanations for the raising of Lazarus, and I couldn't find any. Interesting. But Jesus shows us his divinity in this ironclad miracle that cannot be disputed. Let's look at the example set by Thomas, the twin. You know who I'm talking about. The disciple of Christ, whose nickname was the twin. That's what the disciples called him. Hey, twin. But we've labeled him the doubter. Doubting Thomas. And we are so judgmental. We gave him that name. Jesus did not. I shudder to think of what future generations will say about us if they say anything at all. But let's take a look back at the story of Lazarus, just at the part where Jesus tells the disciples his plans to go back to Judea. We're going to show you a map right here. And this is a little bit of a map that shares with you the backdrop for this story. You see, before Jesus meets with Martha, six days before, uh, well, even before that, I should say, Jesus had been preaching in the synagogue in in Jerusalem. You can see it's the big red star right there, Jerusalem. And he had said some things that really upset people. He had talked to them, made claims, establishing his deity, that he was one with the Father. And so the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, picked up rocks, and they were intent on bashing in Jesus' head and his disciples' heads as well, so somehow, probably miraculously, Jesus takes his disciples and they escape to the, where the arrows pointed to Bethany, east of the Jordan, where John the Baptist had his ministry. And they escape to there and they're ministering there. Relative safety. But now, Jesus gets the nose. Now, I'm sure he already knew. But he gets the notice that he's supposed to be going back, I mean, that they want him to go back to Bethany West. There's two Bethanies. Right below Jerusalem, you see there's another Bethany. We're going to call that Bethany West, just for ease of sake. Bethany East, where he was on the other side of the river in safety and going back in danger to Bethany West, which is just a couple kilometers away from Jerusalem. Well, it says... When he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was, which was Bethany East. <clears throat> then, after he, uh, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Here is the answer his disciples gave him in verse 8. Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? The subtext is, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy? Something loose up there? 
They're trying to kill us. They would have bashed our heads in. But Jesus said, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. He's talking about himself. The light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So what is he telling the disciples? Believe in me. Believe in the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Believe in him, follow him, and everything's going to be okay. But disciples, if you want to go off on your own, if you want to split, if you want to leave, you'll be walking in the darkness. Trust Jesus. But the disciples are so scared. They're traumatized. Jesus said to him, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And in verse 12, the disciples answer, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. But Jesus was speaking about uh, Lazarus' death, but they thought he meant taking rest, like just sleeping. I know there's a couple in here right now. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. He wanted Martha to believe. He wanted his disciples to believe. He wants every one of us to believe. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He was so convinced of the danger, he knew that he would die, or at least he thought he knew. Perhaps we should stop calling him Doubting Thomas. And perhaps we should call him Devoted Thomas. Thomas the Devoted. I would submit to you my belief that, that Thomas was devoted because he had the belief that what he was doing, what they were doing, was important and he was willing to risk all. He didn't exactly understand everything about Jesus. He may not even have fully believed in Jesus as the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son of God. But he was willing to go the distance because he believed that what they were doing was more important than life itself. So here is my question Today, and it's the same question I ask myself over and over. Do I believe that what I am doing is, it, is important? Is it important enough for me to risk all? I, I'm not asking, do you think what I'm doing is important? Or do I think what you're doing is important? I'm asking, do I think that what I'm doing for the kingdom is important? That it's making a difference for the kingdom. It's a matter of people's spiritual lives and deaths. It's a question I asked myself before taking trips to, to Ukraine and here preaching in the north, northern edge of Kharkiv, the northeastern city of, in Ukraine. We're before preaching to a small crowd of 50-ish people whose windows had all been blown out by the shock waves of of rockets that plowed into buildings in their neighborhood, 16-story high apartment buildings, rockets with heavy payloads, killing many civilians. 
And about two or three minutes before I was to bring a gospel message, I heard several explosions in the distance, and we couldn't see them. It was not close. I looked at my friend. He's like, there it is. And after several minutes' time, the air raid alarms provided a surreal accompaniment to the message I was bringing. And people have asked me if I was afraid. And honestly, I have to say no. Maybe if the explosions had been closer, or maybe if they were getting closer, maybe then, I I don't know. Who knows? But I've, I've already asked myself the question, do I really believe that what I am doing is important and making a difference for the kingdom. So much so that I'm really willing to risk all my goods, my identity, my reputation, my life. In the book entitled, The Insanity of God. The Insanity of God, a very catchy title. If you get a chance to read it, I recommend it. But regardless, I'm, this is a spoiler alert. In that book, the author lays out the case that the only way to end the persecution of believers throughout the world is simply to stop telling people about Christ. Stop telling people about Jesus. But I hope you feel the same way I do. And that's, that is something that's just not going to happen. Something we can't let happen. I promised you two questions at the beginning of our time today. So here they are again for your continued perusal. For your maybe quiet time alone with God. Do you believe Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Jesus is posing this question to each and every one of us. Just like he did to Martha. Do you believe this? And that word believe, we is so often misunderstood. I wish we had a word, a verb for the noun faith. Faith is a, is a person, place, or thing, right? It's a noun. A verb is something we do, something that's done. And we believe, but often we read this word believe and we don't fully understand. I love in Russian where the word faith is Vera. If your name is Vera, rejoice. Your name is faith. means faith. But there is also a verb for this noun, and it's Virit. To faith. To faith. Wouldn't it be great if we could just talk like that and say, oh, you know what? I faith Christ at the men's retreat last, uh, last year. Or, hey, I faithed Christ for me around, my, uh, around the dinner table at my home as we had family devotions. Or, hey, I faithed Christ when I was a teenager in, in Sunday school. Or, hey, I faithed Christ. It's a really great word. I love it. We say, I put my faith in. I put my trust in. I put my belief, a belief that's stronger than just the belief that goes, goes on in our heads. 
Do we believe, do we have faith that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do we faith, do we believe that what we are doing is so important for getting this message to a broken world that we are like Thomas, that you are like Thomas, willing to risk all for the kingdom? I don't know what that looks like for you. I know what it looks like for me. But I don't know what that looks like for you. Does that mean, I mean, let's take a crazy example. What if the town of Farragut, because we know they're not controlling it all, what if the town of Farragut were to say to you, you cannot have your um, children's club this summer in your backyard. You can't have it at the community center. Do we just fold? Or do we say, I'm willing to risk it. I'm willing to risk whatever it takes. What if the state said, I'm sorry, but you can't be seen around within 100 yards of an abortion clinic holding a sign that says, give life a chance. You can't do that. Sorry. Are we willing to risk all if that's what God has laid on our hearts? How close can we be to a high school to tell young people, teenagers, about Jesus Christ? Are we willing to risk all? I don't know what it's going to look like for you. What if the national government said, we're going to stop this nonsense of allowing you to write off all your donations or a portion of your donations to charitable organizations like the church, like to Faith Promise? Do we cave? Do we say, well, I guess that's that. Or do we risk all? Do we, do we step out in faith saying, you know, I don't know how I'm going to afford this, but, but I'm going to trust the Lord. I don't know what it looks like to you, but are you willing to do what is important to get this message, the message of Jesus Christ to a broken world? That's the questions I leave with you today.